uh, thanks to everyone who has been taking part in the service so far. We appreciate that. Last Tuesday, I began to think about the sickle. A few of us did. The sickle, that curved metal blade that is used for reaping and harvesting. I've never used one, but I have seen one. Last week was orientation week. It was our orientation for some new students. And as part of that week, we had a series of devotionals were taking place. These devotionals and the scripture passage for the chapel were drawn from six parables as told in Mark's gospel. You may have picked that up from the conversation we've been having. We had to speak, or in Anna's case, she had to preach from the parables that were given to us. And for those of you who preach, you'll know that sometimes that's quite simply the way that it is. You don't get to choose, you're given your text and you need to work with it. And this was the case also for Dorothy. And so last Dorothy, last week, last Tuesday, Dorothy had to lead us in a devotional. She was given Mark 4 verses 26 to 29, the passage that has just been read to us by Catherine. And she read it, well, actually, Dorothy read it three times. And, and after she had read it, she invited us to comment on a phrase or a word that had stood out for us. And for me, it was the word sickle. I was not alone in that because as I spoke to some other students and indeed some of the students who took part, and as I spoke later to the faculty, a number of them said the same thing. They said it was the word sickle that had stuck out in their mind. Now, I don't speak for them. But for me, it stuck out for me because its appearance and the image of the sickle swung initially came as something unwelcome and violent. It was like an unwelcome and violent interruption into what was otherwise a fairly idyllic rural scene, sowing and sleeping and growing. I felt that the early part of the parable had lulled me into a kind of easy like a Sunday morning feel, only to disturb me out of that by this sudden and strenuous activity of blades and cutting and harvest. For me, it was like when the smoke alarm goes off during the night. You're waking up, and for the first bit of time, you don't even know what's happening, let alone how to respond to it. But I've had the week to think about it. And I have thought about it, and whether intentional or not, the disturbing appearance of the sickle, I think, is a good thing in this parable because it reminds us that the parables in Mark's gospel, and certainly this parable, was told within a context of conflict. And it's told in a, a context of conflict at least twice over. It's told in a context of conflict within the gospel of Mark. Jesus tells this parable at a time when he's facing increasing opposition religious, political, and spiritual. And he speaks this parable into that context. This parable is also told in the context of conflict in, in the sense that when the Gospel of Mark was first written down and first told, it was probably told to a small church, a small early Christian community that itself was facing religious, political, and spiritual conflict. And I think if we get that sense that this parable is told into a context of conflict, that we then realize that maybe the parable, rather than being simply about some idyllic rural setting, as you might see in an English pastoral picture, rather this 
parable has a cutting edge to it as sharp as a sickle itself. And the cutting edge involves judgment on those who reject him and promise to those who put their faith in him. Simultaneously, the parable does both things. In this parable, the judgment and the promise comes in the message. The kingdom of God, the rule of God, God's way in the world will bud, will grow, and will come to a harvest. When the parable starts, it starts with human action. Verse 26, someone goes out to sow seed. As a parable of the kingdom, we've been told the kingdom is something which is sown. In my life, I've planted a few things. I've planted a few things in the ground. There's probably a few things I would like to have planted. But among the things I've planted, some of them I have certainly hoped would never appear again in any size, shape, or form. Now you're wondering, aren't you? I'm just thinking about the pets buried in my mother's garden, including three tortoises. When planted, I hoped they would never reappear. But to plant seed is different. To plant seed is to plant something with the hope and in the anticipation that because of the nature of seed, it will indeed come to life and to growth and to harvest. To plant seed is to plant with anticipation of some form of growth. Proclaiming good news, calling unlikely people to walk with him, casting out demons, redefining teaching in synagogues, healing the sick, staying up late, getting up early, cleansing the leper, eating out with bad company, annoying the religious leaders, not telling his disciples to fast, claiming the Sabbath is for good. Using analogy, metaphor, and parable like a verbal Banksy, spreading his message in public and not so public places, with some of it sticking, Jesus and Mark's gospel has been sowing the seeds of the kingdom. The kingdom is something sown. But if the parable starts with the action of the sower, it then moves away. And it moves to the inaction of the sower and the action of the seed in the ground. And this is what the seed does. Verses 27 to 28. It grows. First the stalk, then the head, and then the full grain. If the kingdom of God is something sown, the kingdom of God is also something grown. I'm going to say something. I hope you might agree with it. Perhaps not, but I'm used to that. Sometimes adults say some pretty strange things to kids, to children. I took the word stupid out of my sermon and left the word strange in. But sometimes adults say some strange things to children. I'm thinking of the scenario when an adult has not seen a child for a while, and then when they see them, it goes something like this. My, look at you. How you have grown... Look at her, how she has grown. Meanwhile, the kids are standing there thinking, you've grown a bit yourself, especially in COVID, but I'm not allowed to say so. And then the adult lands this line. How did that happen? Indeed, how did it happen? It's a 
oh, let's put the word stupid back in. It's a stupid question, but it's not really meant to be a question. The exclamation, how did that happen, is an attempt to capture something of the mystery as well as the natural. It's that wonderful thing where you're trying to say, isn't there something mysterious as well as natural about growth? The kingdom in this parable is something that grows. It grows mysterious and apart from human action. It's hard to avoid the implication. And many scholars would say that the implication is clear. It's God who makes it grow. Something about the kingdom of God grows miraculously and mysteriously because of the work of God. As judgment on those who were opposing him and his promise to those who had faith in him. Jesus is saying, whatever you people say, whatever you think, whatever you do, the kingdom is going to grow by the power of God. And this theme, this theme of judgment and promise carries forward into what is the climax of the parable and that takes us back to the sickle. For if the kingdom is sown and the kingdom is grown, the kingdom is also gathered. For in verse 29, we return to the farmer and we read this. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. For those with ears to hear, this is a reference to the coming judgment of God spoken about in the Old Testament book of Joel, where we read the words, Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. In the Bible, harvest imagery is used in different ways. But the image here appears to be, the good will be gathered and the not left to rot. For those who opposed him, this parable spoke judgment. And to those who put their faith in him in a hostile world, it spoke promise. The kingdom of God will come. The hearers are being asked to put their faith in the sovereignty of God whose work has been established in the activity of Jesus Christ. The kingdom grows towards the harvest. One of my favorite 18th century preachers is George Whitfield, an English cleric, somewhat strange-looking, but who, through his preaching, often outdoors, brought an evangelical message of conversion to many who had never heard such a thing. And indeed, Whitfield was a bit of a transatlantic superstar before there were transatlantic superstars. One of my favorite descriptions of Whitfield is that his body was like a scaffold over which his words climbed. In one sermon, probably repeated more than once because he did that. He is imagining that he's looking up into heaven. He looks up into heaven. He sees all of the saints who have gone before, as it were, gathered with King Jesus. And Whitfield says this, Hark, methinks I hear them chanting their everlasting hallelujahs and spending an eternal day echoing forth triumphant songs of joy. And then he continues, and do you not long, my brethren, to join this heavenly choir? 
I don't think Whitfield ever made it to Canada, but he was popular in Scotland and he was popular there because of his Calvinistic theology. I say that because Whitfield clearly believed in the sovereignty of God, but this inspired him to sow because he believed that that which is sown can be grown into the harvest that becomes the kingdom of God. When Kate Booth, Kate Booth was the daughter of William and Catherine Booth. William and Catherine Booth were the co-founders of the Salvation Army. It wasn't that William founded it and Catherine helped. They were the co-founders of the Salvation Army. When the Sal they, their daughter Kate, when she traveled to Paris, France in 1881, she traveled with simply two teenage female lieutenants. They traveled to Paris to start the work of the Salvation Army in a city, and here I quote, where sellers of religion, whatever their brand, were at the least deeply unpopular. When Kate traveled there, she clearly believed that the kingdom could be sown and grown and harvested. As many of you know, Martin Luther King Jr., his last speech was given at an event supporting striking workers. This was one of the many causes that King championed during his life as he constantly pursued civil rights. His speech on April the 3rd, 1968, starts a little bit slow. And in the middle, he lands in some introspection about his life. And then it moves towards its culmination, where King said this, April 3rd, 68, in a sermonic speech, which I think was later named, you know, I've been to the mountaintop, but he says this at the end of it. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the coming. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. King believed that the kingdom sown would grow and come to harvest. These and all these and many Christian people like them who have trusted in the sovereignty of God to bring the harvest have yet been motivated by that trust and inspired by that trust in the tradition of Jesus to sow the seeds of the kingdom now, believing that some, believing sometimes in the faith of considerable opposition, that through kingdom sown, the kingdom grown can be achieved through the miracle of God. Or to put that differently, borrowing from a book on Bruce Coburn, these people, while waiting for the miracle, have been prepared to kick at the darkness until it bleeds the light. The kingdom of God is something sown. There is kingdom work to be done. Acts and actions, which because of their nature, we can do trusting that somehow God will take this work and make it grow towards the harvest. 
a preach, a prayer, a help, a care, a song, a testimony, seeds are sown. A standing on the protest line, a knee in the ground, a voice raised and a body offered in the name of justice, seeds are sown. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and restorative justice, peace and reconciliation, racial and gender equality, creation care, urban renewal, honest politics and fair economics, and seeds are sown. Proclaim the good news. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near, and seeds are sown. The kingdom of God is something sown, and it will grow, and it will be harvested. This is the edge of the sickle as it cuts in judgment and in promise. Amen. We'll go to